0: Welcome to Change Already. Last week, I introduced the next series that I'm going to do for the entire month of May called Serial Killers in Spirituality. I'm getting a lot of kickback from it. <laughs> you know, it's a big turn from where I usually go, but you know, I know that the information is a little bit unsettling for a lot of you, but if you really take a hard look at spirituality, When I first started a long time ago, I only wanted to look at the good in the world. I only wanted to talk about the fairies, the angels, the fluffy parts of spirituality. But if you get right down to it and strip it all away, the deepest crevices of the dark avenues is where true spirituality can create, for a better lack of words, miracles or new beginnings for a lot of people. The series was kicked off incredible with the last guest that I had last week, Dr. Scott Vaughn. He's a professional and criminologist professor at Drew University, and he's written several books. And the one that we want to zero in on again this week, he's going to be my guest once again in a few minutes, I want to talk about his latest manuscript that's due out next year called Monster Dearest, Our Macabre Fascination with Serial Killers. Now, try that as a role of destiny in your own life. This week is a follow-up piece. If you missed it, I want you to go back because we alluded to the son of Sam, who is David Berkowitz, and Dr. Bond was able to sit down and have a one-on-one conversation with this man. And in the show last week, he talked about his spiritual awakening and his spontaneous conversion. And I really want to zero in on that this week. But if you didn't have a chance to listen to that show, go back to Change Already at Blog Talk Radio or it will be up on my website, com in a couple days. In between our time together last week and today, I wrote an article on my own takeaways from the conversation I had with Scott last week on Times Up, and you want to go over to TimesUpblogSpot.com, you can say find that on Facebook, my page, or Twitter, or LinkedIn, all those places on the internet. And the name of that article, I named it With God Everything Is Possible Question Mark. So I want to continue our conversation with Scott Bond this week. And talk about this son of Sam who now calls himself son of hope and this famous serial killer from the 70s and, and what's strange about it is you know how much I like assignments and tell everybody the only way to change is to keep moving and stuff. So last week Dr. Vaughn gave me a website and all of us to check out that Son of Sam, now David Berkowitz, Son of Hope, is writing and conducting business and spiritual work from inside a cell, and he actually writes journals on there. So before I bring Scott back on, I want to read just a small excerpt of what he wrote January 1, 2013. Listen to this. Over the summer, the media revisited the so-called Son of Sam case because this past August 10th was the 35th anniversary of my arrest. Nevertheless, it was painful for me to relive, if only briefly, those terrible days of satanic madness and evil. Now, however, it's time to move on. Unfortunately, there are bad things in my past that that I cannot undo or change. This is true for everyone. Now, listen to this. Every person has at least one thing they either said or done that they regret, which cannot be fixed or rectified. Wow, that's a big statement. There's a big difference between lying and killing someone, but okay, dude. So far for me right now, it's time to live in the present and to look with the eyes of hope to my future. And I do have a good future, and it all involves serving the Lord no matter where I'm at. Welcome, Scott Hahn. I want to pick up where we left off about Son of Sam and now Son of Hope.
1: Well, thank you, Jillian. It's great to be here again.
0: Yeah, let's talk about your book. Um, I want to get that on air because we always run out of time because it's so fascinating what we're going through. Tell me the exact name of the book, the publisher, and when you think it's going to be out next year.
1: Sure, I'd be happy to do that. The title of the book is Monster Dearest. That's the title. And the subtitle is Our Macabre Fascination with Serial Killers and um I'm happy to say that it will be uh published by Skyhorse uh press, and it's scheduled to come out uh next summer, not two thousand and thirteen but two thousand and fourteen uh, and uh the you know it's so interesting because it's really as a result of this book that I met David Berkowitz and uh, the the chain of events were such that you know we're here talking about it now and and my book really started out as a look at the public's fascination with serial killers and and why we as a society oftentimes uh, develop and and build these people into almost like uh uh ghouls of of uh of monstrous proportions, turn them into almost uh, um, uh, uh, serial killer rock stars. You know, Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer and and uh, uh, the son of Sam, of course, and and all the way back to Jack the Ripper. You know, they 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 become almost mythological in in uh, in many ways. And so, you know, my question was, well, you know, why is that? Why why does this happen? And and what are the processes? And I realized that uh, what better source to ask the question than a couple of uh, very very infamous uh two of the most notorious serial killers of all time uh themselves and asked those the questions and those were uh, of course David Berkowitz the son of Sam and Dennis Rader the uh bind torture kill strangler and uh w- along the way in in talking to Berkowitz and, and uh, getting to know him and then ultimately spending the better part of a day with him in in his uh in prison we uh yeah, I realize that that he's uh, you know there's this transformation that's taken place, and he um, is a, a very different person than than the uh, the young uh, brutish uh, uh, man with dead eyes who sat in in, in uh, the courtroom and, and mocked his uh, victims and so forth. And um, it, it really is a, a the only way I know how to describe it is it's miraculous to sit across from him, look into his eyes now, and and uh, the sense of um, almost child like wonder that, uh, that that he has and um uh you know I am not trained in theology I'm, I'm uh, certainly not a, a minister or and an expert in, in theology in any way but I really don't know how to describe the um uh what I've witnessed uh, other than to say that it 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 seems miraculous but um and I'm also a big believer that actions speak louder than words. And David has been very active since 1987, since he had his uh, his uh, moment of of transformation. And he's worked, I would really say, tirelessly with um, with uh, within the prison and outside of of prison through various uh, Christian ministries to get Bibles to Africa. To speak on behalf of um, uh, to 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 young people to not get involved in crime and, and drugs. Um, there have even been um, criminal justice practitioners uh, as far away as Texas and California who have asked him to write about the dangers of demonic uh, uh, possession and Satanism. And so he is, uh, you know, he's he's written about that as well. And and so he's he's willing to do almost anything that he can that that he believes will contribute to. A better society, and and to uh, young people not getting uh, involved in crime and throwing their lives away the way uh, that you know he has certainly as the as the former son of Sam. So um, you know his actions his actions are are uh, quite compelling, I would say.
0: So I have a couple of questions I want to ask you. Sure. How does one get a face by face conversation inside prison? How did you even? were able to have access to the guy. I imagine he's probably, like you said, this macabre, strange, cult figure. How did you personally get invited to meet with the guy?
1: Well, that's an interesting interesting story in itself and i'm glad you uh, you asked me you know, Dave, the david berkowitz today you have to remember he's been in prison now for 36 years so he's actually um um been in prison longer than many of the other inmates that he is in sullivan correctional facility with or have even been on earth uh, so many of the younger prisoners for example they're they 're only vaguely aware of, of who he even is, and David goes out of his way to downplay the whole son of Sam thing and I actually witnessed these you know other young inmates who would come into the visitation room and they'd just call him Brother Dave as far as they 're concerned he 's just brother Dave who uh, works with the chaplain and uh, gives periodic sermons on on Sunday and works with um with inmates there at at Sullivan. Who are uh, many? Many of whom? Many of the of the of the felons there at um, Sullivan Correctional Facility in the Catskills. It's a maximum security prison, and about 60% of them are there. They're lifers there for uh, for murder, and it it also has a. a large population of both physically and mentally impaired inmates. Um, people who, particularly mentally, who you and I as, as laymen would say these individuals are are insane, but from the, the standpoint of the criminal justice system, they're not considered to be insane, which is probably a topic for another day. But, but uh, from a, a legal standpoint, if you knew that you that your crime was wrong at the time that you committed it, you're not insane. Regardless of whether you thought a dog made you do it or uh you know, demonic possession or whatever yeah. You, yeah, you, right. you know, you're not you're not um insane. So anyway, okay. uh David Berkowitz is the only inmate there at Sullivan who's allowed to be sort of a a peer mentor and a um, a mobility guide. He helps them uh, get around. He helps them write letters. He reads with them. He's... um you know he's brother Dave as far as they're concerned, and um so that's just a little bit of the reality there he, so he's not in he's not in um solitary confinement or anything like that. he's in general okay. population now and mm-hmm. uh, so we had been writing for a number of years uh and um it just culminated to the point where uh the timing was just right and for us to get together. And it turns out we have a, a mutual friend on the outside, a, a, a wonderful lady by the name of Roxanne Torriello, who's a Christian minister, and she has been corresponding with um, D- uh, David and working with him for some time uh, on behalf of ministries in Africa and getting Bibles sent over there. And she's also a friend of mine, and she helped to facilitate the, uh, the meeting. And um, so David and I spent, uh, as I said, about five hours together, and we had lunch together Together and uh, he insisted that we pray together, and um, it was a you know quite a quite an amazing experience.
0: So you weren't afraid to meet him. I Not mean, at did all. you know about this spiritual conversion that you talked about last week? Mm-hmm. Um, you weren't afraid to meet the guy face to face, even though he supposedly. And you know, by the way, I am starting to come off to your side. He may be real. I'm not sure about this yet. I'm holding my, for a while, to see where we go with all this. Mm -hmm. But you didn't have any fear of meeting the guy face-to-face then?
1: Well, first of all, I'm a criminologist, so I mean, this is my you know my trade. I right. I, I study crime. I've I've been in a number of, of prisons, fortunately only as a visitor. But I've you know I it's, it's an environment <laughs> that, that that I'm that I'm uh, you know somewhat familiar with. Um, okay. And and yes, well, the, to answer your question, I I was very familiar with the fact that he's uh, had this transformation, and um, and also I've been corresponding with the man for you know for a couple of years now, frequently via letter. And so, you know, I had a sense that of uh, you know, this change and, and his his whole demeanor, the way he expresses himself, is, is very different and um so no, I, I would say to you that um, I really had no apprehensions at all in meeting him. The the most intimidating part of the inti- of the whole experience were the guards at this at this <laughs> facility. This is a you yeah, know, maximum security, no nonsense prison, and um, and and the guards were not uh, at all um, what uh, uh, thrilled by the fact that I'm a college professor here, you know, doing some research Ooh. and meeting with uh, David Berkowitz. They were they were not impressed at all
0: (laughs) i bet not
1: no No. and so so they so that was really the most uh the most intimidating part i will i will say this the that uh i mean i didn't know what to expect from 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 david but to answer your question i wasn't really apprehensive um but i didn't expect him to come bounding or bouncing into the visitation room and give me a huge hug the way that he did i I didn't anticipate that but that's actually what i uh, you know encountered
0: Is that what he did? Really?
1: Oh, yeah. First he gave me a big old uh, hearty handshake, and and then he gave me a manly hug.
0: (laughs) Wow, Scott. I guess that's a once in a lifetime thing. You know, are you going to expound on what he talked about? How much time did you spend on his... Religious, and he considers himself a born-again Christian now, right?
1: Oh, absolutely, yes. He, he was raised, you know, the interesting thing about Berkowitz is he, um, um, he was adopted, and he was raised by the Berkowitz family. His, his original name was Falco, but he was raised by the uh, Berkowitz uh, family, so he was raised in a Jewish home, and, but he never really took to it. He was not religious at all, and so, but now he is a born-again Christian, to answer your question, Yes.
0: So you had this conversation with this guy, this mm-hmm. infamous, you know, and PS, my my kids young kids around me didn't have any idea who the guy was either. So he's obviously been in there for a while. Mm-hmm. What in your book are you going to talk about that was the comeaways from that? I mean, are you talking about redemption? You know, I've read all the stuff, and the big word is redemption and salvation for Son of Sam, who now calls himself Son of Hope. Is mm-hmm. that your focus in your book, or is it more your opinion and professional thoughts? What's in the book?
1: Well, it's going to be a combination of of all of that, and thanks for um, asking, Jillian. The, uh, I mean, the, the first thing that I'm going to do is is um, answer the question of my book, which is why you know our fascination with with these individuals. What is it about them? And um, and so David gave me a lot of insights into why he thinks the public is fascinated by evil, and um, and why they were fascinated fascinated with the son of Sam and so forth. Uh, but I am going to of of course, segue into this conversion, and which which makes for you know just a fascinating um, uh, uh, addition to to my book. I um, uh, I hadn't really anticipated it, but that's the direction it's gone. And and I and and so the order of the questioning actually was in our in our encounter is we mm-hmm. spent the first couple of hours really talking about this conversion to this what you know he now calls himself son of hope, and he's very very interested in sharing. That and his and this message of that anything is possible, which I was I was very intrigued by the title of your of your article, by the way, uh, because that
0: that's <laughs> almost
1: a, an exact quote from David Berkowitz, which is uh, oh really with with God. Oh great, any...
0: that's kind of scary stuff.
1: <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think it's it may, maybe it's just synchronicity. You know, he he said yeah. with God anything is possible. If God can save someone like me, then anything is possible. That is that's a direct quote from uh, from Berkowitz, and um, so there's you know maybe something there in, in that connection. But, um, uh, in any event, so in, or- in order to get him comfortable and to really um, – uh, it, it's very important in a situation like that when you're interviewing someone like this that they need to be feel, feel comfortable if they're going to really open up. And so we spent the first couple of hours in his comfort zone, which is talking about his conversion, talking about his work in the prison, talking about his website, his book. Um, he has a book, Son of Hope, by the way, that was um, you know, co-authored uh, by him. And um, and then as time went on, I really did want to segue into the crimes. I wanted to get a sense of looking back, how he understands them now, um, his perspectives, his motivations, thirty six years later. And so we were able to do that. But I did it only after I really got him into a comfort zone where he felt uh, safe. I guess would be the would be the way to put it.
0: Yeah, emotionally safe, probably. I would. I was suspect. You know, last week you talked about his interest in the occult and how that was a part that spurred him to do the killings that he did eventually back in the 70s. But now he's gone from one extreme to the other, Scott. It's Mm -hmm. like he's gone from the occult clear over to the uh, other side of a born-again Christian. Some people would call that obsessive tendencies rather than a true conversion.
1: Sure, sure. Well, again, you, know, you and I were talking about this before the show. The the only way this whole thing makes any sense uh, to, to 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 even be able to uh believe it. Uh, that this son of hope conversion is possible, you have to. I, I believe uh, you have to have a belief in a in a higher power to begin with. If you don't, yeah. then how can you possibly believe that anyone has been redeemed if you don't believe in a redeemer? So that seems like almost a prerequisite for you know for uh, accepting his his premise. But let's say that you do. Let's let's say that you do believe um, in in a higher power. Call it God or whatever whatever you want. Well. The way David explains it now is that growing up, he was a very empty and uh, fearful and spiritually devoid uh, individual, that, that he had this huge hole inside of him, and he was looking for ways to fill it up, and he became a pyromaniac at, at a young age, um, he strangled cats, he he, 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 he became violent, he, he, he just... Uh, was a very unhappy and, and, um, and violent person. He he went into the army uh, at the age of 18 in search of some sort of meaning and direction in his life. And he didn't find it there. He was hoping to go to, the v- to Vietnam and kill for his country. That didn't happen. They sent him to South Korea, and he was not very happy about that. And, and after three years, he got out of the army, and he was still unfulfilled. At that point is when he really began to uh, become obsessed with uh, with uh, Satan and um, and uh, the occult, and it became truly like an addiction for him. That's the way he explained it to me. The way I understood it, he truly became obsessed, and he somehow it became twisted in his mind that if he killed for Satan, that somehow. All of the pain uh, that he was feeling would be lifted and he would be saved by, by doing Satan's work. That it, it became just completely twisted and an obsession in his, in his mind. So he started to kill. But what happened was, is he would have a momentary uh, high or elation, if you will, after the, a murder. But then he would sink to a new low Almost like a heroin addict who has a high and then um, uh, afterwards sinks to a low and has to have the you know the next fix. Well, that's the way it became with him with the killing, and he went into this cycle of, of highs and lows and 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 never really uh, feeling fulfilled. And um, uh, so the so killing became an obsession with him, and he thought he was doing it you know, on behalf of Satan. and And when he finally when he finally was caught in August of of 1977 he um he believed he told me that for another year or two he thought that satan was going to literally come and unlock the the prison door and and let him out because he had you know hey i shot 13 people you know where are you satan where why aren't you here to you know help me out and of, really? of course that didn't happen and he over over the years the first 10 years that he was in prison he became completely despondent realized that uh that that uh he was that he was wrong and he actually became uh, desperate he, by 1987 so 10 years after he had been incarcerated he reached a point where he didn't want to live anymore and he he thought that um he wasn't going was not going to be able to make it he was only 34 years old at at that point and he thought there's no way I can spend you know my entire life in in prison and that is where he had his moment of um inter- divine intervention if you will and fell on his knees one night, and he said that, that he felt this hand on his back, like a warm uh, hand on his back. And after 30 minutes on his knees, crying to God for the first time in his life, he stood up and he said, I was a different person, that uh, everything was gone, the pain was gone, I felt a relief, and I knew that my sole purpose in living the rest of my life was to try to do the service uh, of God and and to, and to and to help other people. And he said to the best of his ability, one day at a time. That's what he's been trying to do since then. So that's the story, you know, and uh, again, um, I think it's up to each each of us individually, and it's a compelling question. Um, is this possible? But it also, it also um, forces us, I think, to question our own beliefs in order to uh, um, you know, either accept or reject it.
0: Two questions, and we're almost done. So you don't think in your professional opinion, that he just plugged this hole up of obsession with another obsession, which would be spirituality and or religion, because that's very common. You know, you you have an obsessive kind of personality. They go back in, and then they just find something. In this case, luckily, it's a healthy obsession. But Mm -hmm. in your opinion, do you think he's obsessive about it, or do you think he's has a calm, resolute with it, and it just is a part of the personality that he is now.
1: Well, uh, that that might be a question better asked of a psychiatrist. Um, you right, know, I, I'm I'm not sure, but I I'll, I'll comment on it as best I can. He yeah. he certainly gives off an impression of, of serenity. I mean, he's almost Buddha-like when he sits in front of you with these, with these calm eyes and, and, um, and he seems to have a, a peacefulness that, um, is quite, um, uh, enviable, you know, attractive, um, in, in the way he presents himself. He's, he's quite calm and, and, um, and attentive and, um, uh, and, and you feel that he's, very much plugged in and uh, when you when you're when you're talking to him so his demeanor suggests that he you know that that he is at peace but once again the proof to me is in the is in the action and i would say that it almost doesn't matter if, if at this point there's several hundred thousand people who have Re, uh, responded to his website and connected, and have written letters saying that his story has been inspiring to them and helping them get through their own personal problems or struggles with uh, disease and illness. Cancer patients, whatnot, have you know have written him. So, apparently, his his story is doing some good, you know. And it's a, if it's obsessive. Well, okay, you know that, that that's probably okay too. Uh, if this is an obsession, then it's you know it's 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 not a bad one. And um, he seems to be pleased with it. He seems to be pleased with where he's at, and and he seems to be doing good. So, um, you know, uh, I uh, I accept I accept it. You know, I I accept it for what it is. And um, you know, the key also, and you know, that we didn't we talked about it, I think perhaps for a moment last week, but it bears mm-hmm. saying again. That he doesn't have an end game here in terms of any yeah. material outcome. Right. He right. he he's he's exactly where he's going to be for the rest of his natural days on on Earth. He knows he's not going anywhere, and he doesn't he doesn't want to. to. As a matter of fact, he's uh, whenever possible. Every time he comes up for parole, he says, "I don't want to go through this process. I don't want to waste the time. I don't want to waste the state's uh, money." But Legally, he has to go through it. So every few years, he goes through this parole process. They reject him once again, and, and he's, you know, he's back, back where, where, where he, he has been. Um, so all he wants, all he's asking for is the opportunity just to continue, to continue with doing what he's doing. And um, uh, you know, he gets no rewards for this. He gets no special compensation. He doesn't get an extra serving of cherry pie on Saturday night you know, for doing this. Nothing you know and um he works on an old fashioned typewriter he 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 types dozens and dozens of letters every week sends them out and uh um and he seems you know once again uh, very much at peace now you know i've had people say to me well i don't want him to be at peace he should suffer he should you know he should yeah, burn yeah that
0: was right you
1: know, and and well that's 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 fine but that's not really his message His not his message is not gee look at me look how happy i am his message is if God can can save me. Then anything is possible. Anything is possible, and um, and that's really His message. Um, it's not you know don't you know be like me because He knows that He was a, a wretch, and, and He knows that, that um, He's not. He he's, there's no way He's going to be forgiven uh, on this earth for, for what He's done, and, and He's not even asking for it. That's that's not His um, you know that's not His goal.
0: Well, we're just about done, but I will make one comment. I did go to that website that you suggested, and I will give you this. He does look sincere on there. The information that he's putting out is very pure in in the presentation of what he's doing. So I'm looking forward to seeing and reading your book that comes out next week, I mean, excuse me, next year, Tell us one more time, and I think everyone is going to be fascinated with this book. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Well, thank you. and Again, it's uh, Monster Dearest, Our Macabre Fascination with Serial Killers, and it will be published by Skyhorse Press, and it's coming out summer of 2014.
0: I'm looking forward to this, Scott. I think you've got some good information there, and I think that you did a heck of a job pulling out the purity of what he wanted to tell the world. And, you know, everybody can try it, but only certain people that are in spiritual truth will actually achieve it. And from Mm -hmm. the words that you're saying, it sounds like you were able to do that. So thank you for bringing his words to the rest of the world. how the world perceives it is not our responsibility, Scott. Our job is only to tell it.
1: So thanks again
0: for joining me.
1: Thank you so much, Jillian, and uh, it's been a pleasure, and um, I wish you and, and all your listeners a great day.
0: Thank you. So next week I'm going to have a Mr talking about this, this next subject, the same thing, of redemption, but remember between now and then, change doesn't have to be difficult, but it is necessary to grow. See you next time, same time, same place, Block Talk Radio. Thanks for joining Jillian today. Don't miss her famous at-home personal enrichment lessons. You can complete them on your own time to accelerate your personal change. They're simple and nothing like you've experienced before. Just like Jillian, warm and fuzzy with an attitude. So change already.